Matt and Stu, we were talking about Marco Rubio uh, and his interview with Bob Schieffer. He was like 206 <laughs> years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, he was asking about Hillary and Jeb Bush and, and those things. And then he gets to immigration, which is where Marco Rubio has had problems in the past. And he's backed off some of his stance with, like, the Gang of Eight that he sided with, uh, the McCain uh, uh, immigration plan for c- comprehensive immigration reform, which is just, it's code speak to, for amnesty. And, and I think he's backed off that uh, stance. Uh, so here he is on uh, how he feels about immigration. What I would do if I was president, the first thing I would do is I would ask Congress to pass a very specific bill that puts in place E-Verify, an entry-exit tracking system to prevent visa overstays, and improve uh, security on the border. Once we achieve that, step two would be we would modernize our legal immigration system, less family-based, more merit-based. And then the third step would be to pass a bill that goes to the 10 million people that are here, 12 million that are here illegally. If they've been here for longer than a decade, they have to pass a background check, they have to learn English, they have to pay taxes, they have to pay a fine, and they would get a work permit. And after a substantial period of time in that status, assuming they haven't violated any of the conditions of that status, they would be allowed to apply for legal residency, just like anybody else would, not a special process. And after you're a legal resident, after a number of years, by law, you're allowed to apply for citizenship. It's a long process. It's a reasonable process. It's a fair process. But it has to happen in that order. And it begins with serious enforcement measures. It's interesting because, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a plan that the left would be happy with, right? It's mm-hmm. not, it, this is not what, uh, you know, name your annoying Democratic senator is, <clears throat> likes, right? This is a, in, mm-hmm. as it's described by Marco Rubio, a long sort of arduous process. I mean, if you're a 35-year-old guy who's been here for 10 years, you're probably 50 before you're through that process, especially with the way the government operates. I mean, like, yeah. that's going to take forever. And you have to prove you're learning English? Like, I... I I mean, uh, there's so many weird things in there that it's I, just not going to. You happen. just know nothing's going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And that's kind of like they, I think they can put on whatever restrictions they want, just like they did in 1986. Yeah. And they're not going to. They're not going to abide by any of them. Right. They didn't pay the fine. They didn't stand in line. They didn't do any of that stuff. Right. And when they do, they disappeared back into the shadows. Let's say Rubio actually were elected president and mm-hmm. was able to push this plan through in a couple of years, he, and he's reelected. So he's got six years. Let's just say he's the most, uh, he's the hardest guy ever on this, and he really cares. These people aren't going to be halfway through this process in six years. And after that, the next person that comes in is going to change it. And there's going to be all sorts of alterations throughout that process, and it's going to be the easiest thing in the world eventually for this to happen. This is why it's hard to to, to acknowledge these programs. Like the, they're saying, it's is it amnesty? Well, I mean, certainly as as politically defined, it's amnesty. I guess if you're paying a fine, technically it's not amnesty. I mean, uh, you know, but it's a fine. Uh, you have to learn the language. Well, I mean, uh, you know, we can't even adopt English as our official language in this country, as we discussed. I mean, I can't I can't imagine that you know. There actually is a legitimate requirement built in there that can be enforceable in some way. Come on. I mean, we have presidents that come in here and just let people stay. They're going to really enforce the English language mastery that's involved in this plan? I I doubt it. It's bull crap. Uh, Here he is uh, speaking with Schaefer Schaefer on uh, gay marriage and climate change. You have said, if I'm correct, that humans are not responsible for climate change. Stop for a second. Did you say that? Stop for a second. (laughs) He's so incredulous here. 
said, if I'm correct, <laughs> that, that humans are not I'm responsible correct. for climate change. That is unbelievable. Did you say that? Did but I said if humans that? are not responsible for climate change in the way some of these people out there are trying to make us believe for the following reason. I All believe right. the climate is changing because there's never been a, a moment where the climate is not changing. Uh -huh. The question is what percentage of that or what is due to human activity? If we do the things they want us to do, cap and trade, you name it, how much will that change the pace of climate change? versus how much will it cost our economy. Scientists can't tell us what impact it would have on reversing these changes, but I can tell you with certainty it would have a devastating impact on our economy. Okay. Talk a little bit about social issues. All right, let's stop issues. it there for a second so we can deal with that. Yeah. Let's stop right there. That's a pretty good answer. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. No, and that's uh, right. He's, he's, he's applying a cost-benefit analysis, which yeah. is not something that's applied by the media or people like Bob Schieffer. Yeah, uh, and uh, look, the climate is changing. It always does. Mm -hmm. Of course. There's this um, uh, interesting, I, I like these things that Waters does to a certain extent. Um, you know, Waters. Uh, what's oh, from O'Reilly? Yeah, Jesse Waters. O'Reilly. Mm -hmm. He goes out on, on uh, Earth Day. Uh, it was Earth Day, the global citizen Earth Day thing that they did yesterday. And he talked to uh, people who were there. And one of the things he asked them was, um, you know, which is worse, which is killing more humans? Climate change or terrorism? Every single one of them said climate change. And he, so then he asked these two girls, what, when did climate change start? And one of them said, well, as soon as we started destroying the planet. And he's like, well, when was that? One of them says in the industrial age. And then he says, well, how did the earth start to warm then after the ice age? And she's like, wait, what is this? What are you doing here? And then she looks at his mic flag and sees Fox News. And there's, oh, okay, we're leaving. So when it got mm -hmm. difficult for you, mm -hmm. all you do is blame Fox News and you leave. Yeah. And, and that's, that's all they have on this stuff. That's all they can do. Well, how did the climate warm after the Ice Age? Because it warmed a lot. And there were no SUVs at the time. Not a single one. Well, there's some. Just no, there were none. I mean, there aren't as many dealerships get around. as right, there's, No, I'm he's, trying to say there were zero SUVs. There were no coal-fired plants. <laughs> None of that. Whoa. So they, they, they don't have any answer for that because the climate does always change, as Marco just said there. 
the climate always changes. So, I, I mean, yeah. and, and, and why am I supposed to ascribe that to man's activities? Right. A smart political way of handling this, too, is just applying a cost-benefit analysis, which, I mean, you, when you sit here and you say, okay, like, in, in the Al Gore world, we could apply things like the Kyoto Protocol and cap-and-trade. If and we, we spend could, $10 trillion, dollars, right. we could what's spend that going to do? Right, exactly. They don't and, know. And it will delay. I mean, there, there are charts that show this. And, you know, these large programs that cost trillions of dollars of GDP will delay global warming uh, by usually the, the total is about a year in 2050. So we're, we're, we would be a as... A year. Yeah, a year. So in, let's say, 2050 or 2100... <laughs> In, right now, we'll be X temperature in 2100. Instead, it would be that in 2101. <laughs> now, I, to, I that to me, on, and I mean this seriously. Is that going has, by their cap and trade stuff? It goes by stuff? their numbers. Um, wow. I could, we could show you the charts. Holy uh, cow. But uh, why would you? Why? Be, well, it's you know, their argument will be first of all, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. So we, we, in other words, what they're telling you is we're going to go way, something. way further later on. We're going to go way, way further later on. But this is the first step. Get you in the boat. Um, and then secondly, they'll say, well, uh, you know, it's possible that these changes could lead to more changes with technology and eventually, you know, snowball and, and you'd get a big difference, a bigger difference. It wouldn't be it's not going to be that much different. It might be. Let's say it's 10 years. What does that mean? Right? Who cares? Nothing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous sort of thing. But when you apply a cost-benefit analysis like that, you realize, okay, look, what's better? To sit back and have a strong economy where people who actually, like Elon Musk, who really care, can take their money and dump it into these technologies that actually could make a massive difference down the line. Uh, you know, thinking of things like his home battery program, for example, mm -hmm. where, you know, you have a battery, uh, a giant battery outside that in theory, and again, this is not tested yet, could s soak up things like solar energy during the day and power your house through the night. Um, you know, one of the issues with solar power now is you can't, you can't store it well. Well, this theoretically would solve those problems. At some point, there's going to be a breakthrough in one of these technologies. And if you have a strong economy where people can feed themselves and have jobs, then money flows into these industries and the market works these things out as it always does. Do you think people want fossil fuels because they just love them so much? They have this undying loyalty to ExxonMobil? No. Nobody cares about ExxonMobil. Even a lot of the people inside of ExxonMobil would go to another company if they had a better opportunity. The issue here is you have a situation where at some point we will have a solar breakthrough or a breakthrough. In, I mean, I think the most likely candidate within the next 30 years probably is solar, but, uh, you know, and nuclear is, is just stopped, so we can't get it from there. But you'll get it from somewhere eventually, and if, if people say, you know what, this is a problem, and they will address it, but eventually solar power probably will be priced less than a lot of these fossil fuels. And at that point, money will flow into it like crazy, technology will increase and, and get much, much better and cheaper, and then yeah. Because it's a better option, people will adopt it. It will just happen. You don't have to do, you don't need to, you know, take control of all these industries. And that's how you know, in reality, these plans are designed to take over the industries, to get control of them before it gets started. Because if you wait too long, uh, they're going to be runaway, powerful industries too, and you're not going to be able to get control of them.